Hey folks, Andy Patton here back with a new laptop and ready to continue Mailbag Monday with a ton of excellent questions about the transfer portal candidates, about Zags in the NBA, coaching staff changes, much, much more, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Stat Hero. Stat Hero is reshaping the way you play fantasy sports. Dozens of house-based games to play daily. No sharks, no funky props, just your skill versus the lineups you choose. Sign up today at stathero.com slash locked on. I also want to thank all of you who make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day, especially now that we are into the off season. It is very much appreciated. I also appreciate all of you who check out the show on YouTube. We are there live on YouTube every episode. Just go to locked, excuse me, go to YouTube, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. I really, really appreciate it. Very, very close to 500 subscribers, which has been our goal all season long. So really appreciate all of you who have helped and will help us get there. Today is Mailbag Monday. Just a reminder for those of you who are newer listeners who have yet to participate in Mailbag Monday, if you're interested in doing so, super simple. Just reach out to me on Twitter at ScoreZagScore or at LockedOnZags. Whenever you are thinking of a question, helps if you tag it Mailbag Monday. But as it is the offseason, it is likely I will push it towards Mailbag Monday going forward. Uh, you can also email me at AndyPatton013 at gmail.com. That's a great way to ask multiple questions uh, or ask longer style questions if you're interested in doing so. All right, we are going to get right into it. This first question of the episode comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says, what transfers that the Zags are looking at as of now would you say have the best chance to be the next star transfer similar to Clark Goss or Bolton for the Zags? Well, I'd push back a little bit, and this is perhaps just semantics. There's a pretty big difference between the roles that Brandon Clark and Nigel Williams-Goss played at Gonzaga versus the role that Rasir Bolton played at Gonzaga. The Zags are not looking via the transfer portal right now for a player to come in and take over the way Nigel Williams-Goss did. They knew when they brought him in that he was going to sit out a year and he was going to be the star of the team. Somewhat similar with Brandon Clark. I don't know that they expected him to glow up quite as much as he did, but both those players stepped in and were immediate contributors, starters, superstars once they stepped onto a court in a Gonzaga uniform. Bolton, obviously a fantastic player. He fits more into the mold of the Byron Wesley, Jordan Matthews, you know, those types of Admon Gilder, Ryan Woolridge. And that's not to say that he's not a star. He's an extraordinarily talented basketball player. Just that the Zags were looking for a player to fill more of a role rather than a player to step in and be a star. And that's what they're looking for this year on the transfer portal. I don't think the Zags are out there aggressively trying to... They're trying to get the best players they can. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're not, but they're looking for players who are willing to come in and fill a role. And I think that that's more what we're going to see the Zags look for. In terms of which players out there that we know Gonzaga are interested in that we think could really step in and be superstars or super successful in the role that they cultivate at Gonzaga, the number one option for me, Tristan Newton from East Carolina. 
This dude is really, really good. He's a good scorer. He's he's a lot like Ryan Woolridge. He wasn't a great three-point shooter, but he was the man at his school. He was the facilitator, the point guard, the leader at East Carolina. If he came to Gonzaga, I think he could step in. He could start right away should the Zags want him to start right away. He could also come off the bench if Nolan Hickman were to step into a starting role. But I think he could play a really significant role for this team right away. Next question comes from Matt Fay at mfay5 on Twitter. He says, I apologize if you addressed this transfer and I missed it, but the Zags are interested in Nigel Pack from Kansas State. Thoughts on a potential fit? Yeah, Fay, excuse me, Fay, that's the person who asked the question. Pack is a phenomenal outside shooter. That is one of the biggest needs for this Gonzaga team. He shot just about 44% at Kansas State last year. The dude can light it up. However, He's not really a facilitator. He's not a great playmaker, passer. He's more of a, he's an undersized combo guard who's a great outside shooter. He's only six foot, 180 pounds. If you're not going to play him at the point guard, he's just a small two. I think he's a lot like Dominic Harris, not in terms of size. Dom's a bigger guy, more physical guy, better defensive player. But I don't think the Zags would add a guy like Pack if he if they don't feel he can capably run the offense as a legit point guard because right now they only really have one point guard on the roster. This is of course assuming that Andrew Nembhard is leaving, which is the assumption that I think the majority of us are making at this point. Considering Gonzaga is looking pretty heavily at the guard transfer market, they're looking at adding a fourth guard alongside Hickman, Salas, and Dominic Harris. I think Pax, there's certainly worse fits out there. Pack's a very talented player. He's a great outside shooter. I just think they're more likely to look for somebody who could be more of a facilitator, more of an Aaron Cook, Geno Crandall type guard rather than a guy like Pack. But again, if you can find a guy who shoots 45% from three and plug him into your lineup, you got to at least consider it. It's certainly a, a solid option for the Zags. Next up, this question comes from Stephen DeWitt at S underscore DeWitt 11 on Twitter, who says, do you foresee any coaching changes this year? At this point, no, but it's very hard to say. I don't know, obviously, all of the ins and outs of, of how coaches are recruited and scouted and kind of like brought in for potential interviews. I don't know how much the Gonzaga staff, namely Mark Few and the athletic director, how much pull they have on trying to keep these guys here. I'll tell you what, I'd be surprised if Brian Michelson left. He is now in line to be the number, in line as the number two behind Mark Few. I think, as Tommy Lloyd proved, it's really difficult to to be pulled out of that role. You have to get a really, really tremendous opportunity, like the head coaching job at Arizona. And I don't think those opportunities are coming for Michelson until he has proven his worth much more than he already has. I think he's a phenomenal coach. I think he would be a great head coach, but I don't think that you know, Power 5 programs are going to come calling for him to be a head coach just yet, and I don't see any other reason that he would leave. Uh, as for Roger Powell, Stephen Gentry, it's definitely possible. It's really hard for me to make an accurate prediction on that. I would be somewhat surprised if we saw any coaching changes, but I wouldn't be shocked. Next question, this one comes from Pat via Gmail. Pat says, one season in, how concerned should we be about losing the overseas recruiting power of Tommy Lloyd? So this has been a really common topic. I was asked this multiple times during the season. I suspect that I will be asked it at least one, maybe a couple other times during the offseason. And I understand why it's a, a conversation that people are bringing up. Tommy Lloyd is gone. The Zags have not brought in any international recruits. But I just I don't see it as being that big of a deal. Gonzaga's recent international recruits haven't been all of that impactful. Martinez Orlowskis, Pavel Zakharov, Umar Balo is kind of the last recent group of 
international players. And none of them have done all that much. Obviously, Umar Bala is having a lot of success at Arizona. Shout out to him, to Tommy Lloyd, for getting that success out of him. Yes, he probably would have been a nice player to have on this roster this past season were we able to get that level of production out of him. But Arlauskas, Zakharov, Zakharov's not playing college basketball anymore. Arlauskas did not turn into uh, anything more than just a back-of-the-bench guy. Uh, before that, obviously, you have guys like Petrusev, but again, he was playing high school basketball in Florida. So yeah, he's an international player, but he was he wasn't international when the Zags were recruiting him. So the Zags, the transfer portal has changed college basketball in a significant way. You can add players to your roster without them having to sit out for a year. It makes it much easier to not have to recruit as intensely uh, on the high school market, on the international market. Gonzaga has also improved their their domestic recruiting significantly in large part because of Brian Michelson and what he has done, uh, being able to bring in players, not just your Jalen Suggs and your Chet Holmgrens, which is obviously huge, but guys like Dominic Harris, guys like Julian Strother, guys like Braden Huff, who's coming in next year. I know they've missed out on a couple other targets that they had for this year's class and for next year's class, and that has been hard to swallow. But I guess to answer the question, do I think that Gonzaga's international recruiting is going to drop off now that Tommy Lloyd is gone? Yes. Absolutely. Am I concerned about it? Not really. I don't think that this is a direction Gonzaga was going to continue to go. I think it's kind of an era of the program that is sort of closing, that's kind of ending in a way, in part because of Tommy Lloyd's departure, in part because of just the changing landscape of college basketball in general. Yeah, it means no more guys like Rui, this incredible story. Even Joel and Killian Tilly, who are recent examples of successful international recruits. It's not like Gonzaga has has been failing at this for a long time. They've had a few misses recently, but we're very good otherwise. But I think that the program is going to focus on domestic recruiting, hitting the transfer portal really hard, and maybe not doing as much of that overseas recruiting as they've done in the past. Next question, the final one of this segment comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, with the retirement of Coach K, it is a good time to look at who the great future Hall of Fame caliber active coaches are. What would be your top five list of active college coaches? Is there a younger coach you believe is on an upward trajectory? Yeah, so I'm going to just drop this list here in no particular order. There's a lot of potential options I could have included here. This is just kind of my gut feeling without doing a whole ton of research on the topic. It's perhaps a topic that I could address in more length in a later episode when we kind of uh, have have some more time on our hands. Uh, but for me, I put in, again, in no particular order, Mark Few, Bill Self, Tom Izzo, Bob Huggins, and Jay Wright. I think obviously there's definitely some other names that could be considered in here. John Calipari is a player or is a coach I did not put on this list. Jim Beheim is a coach I did not put on this list. Uh, obviously candidates as well. I was not including Shashevsky because we are considering him retired as of this moment. Uh, in terms of younger coaches on an upward trajectory, there's quite a few. Certainly we could talk about like, you know, really young coaches or really inexperienced coaches like Shaheem Holloway or Tommy Lloyd. Of course, he, he can be a part of that conversation, but they have not been doing this for very long. So I don't know that they quite count. Uh, Kelvin Sampson at Houston is a phenomenal coach, a phenomenal coach. He has a very good potential to be an all-timer should he stay at the collegiate level. He is excellent. Uh, Eric Musselman, I know he's not Gonzaga's favorite person right now because he's the head coach at Arkansas. They not only beat Gonzaga because he coached a really good game, but they've also taken some of the recruits from him. But he's, you know, he was successful at Nevada. He's having success at Arkansas. He's kind of on that upward trajectory as well. All right, we got more Zag player-specific questions to answer in the second segment. But first, I want to tell you all about Stat Hero. 
Stat Heroes NCAA Single Game Pick'ems pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage. Start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage, resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. In addition to their pick'em games, they also have dozens of lineups you can comb through to take on head-to-head. They simply post sets of players for you to take on with a set of players you choose. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fix. The simple, sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on, promo code locked on for a 100% match. All right, segment two, still any patents, still locked on SAGs, still answering listener-submitted questions all episode long for Mailback Monday. This first one of segment two comes from Pat via Gmail. Pat says, what halted Anton Watson's development and aggressiveness this year? He had great games before conference play began, but then seemed to lose that initiative. Yeah, this is a really common thought process was that he had a good non-conference season, a bad conference season. And frankly, that's just not true. Uh, Watson was inconsistent this year. I, I know that a lot of people have pushed back on me for how positive I've been about Anton Watson. So yes, he had some inconsistency issues. I will not debate that for anybody. But he was also really good for most of WCC play. His best games of the season came in conference play. He had 19.6 boards against Pepperdine early in the conference tournament, or excuse me, the conference season. He had 16 points in just 21 minutes against Portland in that game against the Pilots. Uh, In fact, if you look at a 16-game stretch, this is from December 4th to February 16th. So this covers a huge chunk of WCC play, over six weeks of conference action. From 12-4 to 2-16, over 16 games, Watson averaged 11 points. He shot 61.5% from the field. That included 66% on two-pointers and 35.7% on three-pointers. We've been considering Watson this very, very bad three-point shooter throughout his career. And I'm not going to say that he's been good, but for a 16-game stretch, which is half a season, he was 36%, which is league average. That's pretty good. And again, this period, it started before conference play started, obviously. It was against, you know, the Merrimack and the Texas Tech game and uh, North Alabama and some of those games that were a bit of a gimmies, but it also extended into conference play. What happened after that, though, is he went on a really bad cold streak. Basically, he started the season out pretty cold. He got did really well for about a half a year, and then he ended the season on a cold streak. Part of that, fatigue. I think it's reasonable to expect that fatigue was an issue here for a guy who has never really played a full season because he had injury issues as a freshman. He had injury issues as a sophomore. I think he just got a little bit gassed. I think we saw a lot of Gonzaga's players get a little bit gassed as the season went on. That's the the perils of a really, really fast-paced team only playing eight players. So you're going to get some guys who are going to get a little wiped out. Uh, I think he also, they ran into some really good teams at the end of the year. Most of Gonzaga's players did not play well the last 10 games of the season. It's not just Anton Watson. It was a lot of the players on the team. It was partly fatigue. It was partly that they played San Francisco twice. They played St. Mary's twice. They played BYU in there. They played three NCAA tournament games. 
Those are all tough, tough opponents. Anton Watson didn't play as well down the stretch in part because he played bigger players, he played better players, and he was tired. I do think Watson needs to prove that he can do this stuff over a full season. He can be a 65% shooter from the field. He can be a decent to league average three-point shooter. He needs to prove he can do that for a full season. He has not done that yet. But I don't think that Watson's... Watson basically just had some ups and downs throughout the season. That's really all that it was in, in my view. Next up, this one comes from Matt via Twitter DM. Matt says, I'm extremely curious about how NIL might influence good college players, but not necessarily lottery picks, to stay an extra year or two. Is there any data out there regarding NIL? I'm also curious how Gonzaga might stack up against other Blue Blood programs. I have to imagine NIL is going to be part of the sales pitch. GU has a national brand, but a small market. However, that small market makes our players bona fide celebrities in Spokane and a true marketing commodity. Alternatively, bigger schools with larger booster resources may have some serious corporate relationships that can hire kids and pay more than our local businesses. So data hasn't really come out yet. NIL has been around less than a calendar year. I think it's important to remember that this this rule went into place in July of 2021. So we just haven't had a lot of time to really process how all this is going to work. This, This right now is the first time that we're seeing student athletes really have in the in the basketball landscape have to make the decisions of do I want to come back to school do I want to go play professionally this is it's happening right now for the first time so we'll have at least one year's worth of data set after this NBA draft and obviously we'll continue to collect data after that and kind of make some determinations I think there's a very real possibility that more student athletes will consider coming back to school in various sports including men's basketball because of this ability As for the small market national brand argument, yeah, Spokane definitely loves the Zags and definitely has the ability to market that to student athletes. I think a lot of other programs do too. Obviously, you look at some of the bigger programs or at least the Power 5 schools, a lot of them are not in super huge towns. You know, obviously you have like, you know, UW or UCLA who are in these huge cities, but you also have like schools in the Midwest or schools in the SEC or ACC, like they're not all in huge towns. So this is not necessarily an advantage that only Gonzaga has. Having said that, it is something that they will utilize. Drew Timmy is going to be an interesting case. He's proved he can make it work. He made a lot of money this year. He made a lot of money this year through NIL. He would, if he comes back, he would make a lot of money through NIL again in 22-23. Probably not as much money as he'd make playing professional basketball, but there's an argument that it's close. So we'll see what his decision is. I don't think that his decision is necessarily, you know, what we should consider all student athletes are going to do going forward necessarily, but he is an interesting kind of linchpin for how this might work for for other student athletes in his situation as a great college player who doesn't have a lot of high-level NBA prospects necessarily. Next question, another one from Pat via Gmail. Pat says... Will, will or can Caden Perry take a medical redshirt year? So he can apply. Uh, he can absolutely apply for a medical redshirt. There's a good chance he has already filed said paperwork for a medical redshirt. He did play in eight games, so this will be a decision up to the NCAA compliance office. I worked in NCAA, or I worked at uh, higher education universities. I worked at Seattle U. I worked at the University of Portland. I worked with our compliance office very closely for five years at those two schools. It is hard to predict what the NCAA will do. Sometimes they will grant waivers for situations that you were not expecting them to grant a waiver. Sometimes they will deny waivers that you absolutely expected would go through. It is hard to say. I suspect the Zags are filing a waiver for Caden Perry. I think there's a decent chance they will get it. 
but I also don't know for sure. I don't know how much it matters. I don't know how much Caden Perry is interested in potentially having that extra fifth year of eligibility. May not be something that he's super keen on having, but I would be surprised if Gonzaga has not already filed the paperwork for that to go through. Next question comes from DadRisk on Twitter. DadRisk says, can we all begin the straw threat the four campaign now, like we did for Kispert a couple years ago? He has Kispert's size and rebounds well, and Harris and Salas both have the size to guard threes. Sorry, Anton, but I say we start Hickman, Salas, Harris, Strother, and go small again. So I'm not sure why we want to do this. Um, I don't think that going smaller and faster is the answer to solve Gonzaga's problems. Gonzaga's problems are they cannot handle big physical teams, or they have struggled to handle big physical teams in the past. I shouldn't say can't. They have done it before and won games against big physical teams, but their season ended in 21 and in 22 because they ran into a team that beat them up. When you look at what happened in 21, that season with Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert and Joel Iai, they had no rim protection and they had very little front court depth. Corey Kispert spent all of his minutes playing the four. I think in a lot of ways that worked to Gonzaga's advantage in the regular season. They could outrun teams, they could outshoot teams, they could they outpaced basically everybody that they played, and they did that last year as well. And they did it last year along with a great rim protector in Chet Holmgren. But at the end of the day, the, neither of those two teams won championships. And I don't, they were already the fastest team in the NCAA. They've been like the fastest or one of the fastest, highest paced teams in the country the last two years. I don't think they need to keep trying to get faster. I don't think that that's the issue. Having said that, do I think Julian Strother should spend some time at the Ford this upcoming season? Yes, depending how the roster shakes out. If Drew Timmy leaves, I think they're going to find some bigs on the in the transfer portal, one, maybe two, potentially, depending. But even so, I think we're going to see some lineups with Strother at the Ford. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for that to be a lineup that works really well for Gonzaga against certain teams. But I don't think it should be the primary lineup. I think Gonzaga needs more size. They need more physicality. And I worry that running out lineups, even if Drew Timmy returns, where Julian Strother's at the four, you're basically replicating the 2020-21 team, which was very, very good. But this next year's team, I just think teams have the recipe for how to defeat that. And they know that the physicality, they know that going at the rim and, and forcing Gonzaga to, to defend the rim and do all that is something that they have struggled with in the past. And having a lineup where Julian Strother, who's a good defensive player, playing the four against some of those bigger, stronger teams, I'm just not sure that it's going to work. Next question comes from Theodore via Gmail. Theodore says, in your opinion, which Zag team so far has been the best? I think it's either 1819 or 2021. Yeah, it's 2021. I, I, I personally, I don't think that there's much debate. And yes, I, I, you know, we could talk regular season. You could talk, you know, 16-17. They only lost one game in the regular season. That 18-19 team was absolutely stacked. They were so, so good. Josh Perkins, Zach Norvell, Rui Hachimura, Corey Kispert was on that team. Brandon Clark was on that team. And that team was loaded. Killian Tilly was on that team. Absolutely loaded. Phil Petrusev was a freshman on that team. Really good. They lost in the Elite Eight. The 2020-21 team did not lose a game until the championship game. I think for me, that has to take the cake. That was an incredibly fun season, a fun team. If those two teams played each other, I think you, you played each other 10 times out of 10. You, one team probably wins five times. The other team probably wins five times. Like I think they're fairly evenly matched teams, uh, and they, they're differently set up. Like Obviously, that 18-19 team had a lot more size and depth in the front court, whereas the 2021 team had, had more depth in the backcourt and really, really talented guard play. But I think I would, I would take the 2021 team. Next question from Pat via Gmail. Pat says, do you have thoughts 
on why the Zags so often have a slow first half and then reset for a better second half. Is our scouting and game planning suspect? No, I do have thoughts on this, and it's not that. Basically, what I think that this is, Gonzaga, especially offensively, they know what they're going to do. They Basically, they have a strategy of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They're going to get out and run. They have the specific offensive sets that they run. They're going to get the ball to Drew Timmy, specifically talking about last year's team, obviously. So every team in the country who's watching Gonzaga, they know what they're going to do. But Gonzaga's not going to come out and try to do something different. They have the best offense in the country the last couple of years. There's no reason for them to come out and try something unique, to, to change things up, to try to... You know, they're not going to do that. So the opposing team, 100% of the time, knows what Gonzaga's strategy is going to be going into that game. They, however, have the ability to try something completely different. And in conference play in particular, and notably this year in the NCAA tournament, teams came out and did things differently. They tried different defensive sets. They tried switching differently. They tried handling things differently. And Gonzaga had to adjust to what they were doing differently. Because Gonzaga was going to come out and just try to do their own thing. And then they, you know, the game starts. The other team's doing something differently. Gonzaga has to try to make adjustments. I wish that they would make adjustments sooner. They, it seems like they wait until halftime to make some of those big sweeping changes. And then we see them come back. I wish some of that had happened a little bit sooner, and I think that that's a reasonable criticism of Coach Few and the staff in general. But I think that part of the reason that we see them come out a little bit slow in these first halves is because the other team is trying something completely different than what Gonzaga thought that they would do. And because Gonzaga is going to continue to try to do what they do best until the other team proves they can stop them, they kind of, it just, it, it lends itself to, to opportunities for them to get beat early in the game and then figure out how to adjust after that. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. After months of playing, college basketball has determined the top two teams, North Carolina and Kansas, and will determine this year's national champion this coming week. While the Zags unfortunately fell short of the game's pinnacle week, that does not mean fans cannot remain in on the action. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. For all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Heck, they even have lines on a fight between Will Smith and Chris Rock, should you be so inclined. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still going through listener-submitted questions for Mailbag Monday. This first one for the final segment comes from Theodore via Gmail. Theodore says, how would you rank the Zags currently in the NBA? Who is the best? Who has the most future potential? Well, the best right now is DeMontis Sabonis. There is zero debate whatsoever. He is a two-time All-Star. He was a borderline three-time All-Star, very close to making the team this year. He is playing the best basketball of anybody who wore a Gonzaga uniform currently in the NBA. Future potential of guys currently in the NBA is definitely Jalen Suggs. I think there are some other candidates there. I think you could argue Rui has great future potential, even though he's been in the league for a couple of years. Brandon Clark as well. Of course, Corey Kispert, I don't think his potential is as high as Jalen Suggs's, but I think there's a, there's a conversation there. But for me, Best currently, Sabonis. Best future potential, Suggs. I will rank 
the whole list, though, in terms of who I think is best right now. This is purely right now. DeMontis Sabonis, Brandon Clark, Rui Hachimura, Kelly Olenek, Jalen Suggs, Corey Kispert, Zach Collins, Killian Tilly, and Joel Ayayi. Next question comes from Derek via Twitter GM. Derek says, I recently fired up NBA 2K20 and traded for all the Zags in GM mode. Team is pretty competitive and fun to play with, no surprise. But it begs the question in real life, how would a team of full of Zags do in the NBA, especially if they automatically get to add Chet? Yeah, so I've been asked this question before and I'm planning to, I'm going to give an answer here, but I'm planning to deep dive into this for an off-season episode, I think. NBA draft happens late June. I got all July, all August, all September, most of October until the actual college basketball season starts. That's a whole heck of a lot of podcasts that are going to happen between July and the start of the basketball season. Plenty of time to dive deeper into a topic like this. However, I'll give a quick answer. Even if the this NBA Zag team gets to add Chet Holmgren, guard play is a massive issue. Massive issue. I, I'm still struggling to figure out how I would construct a starting lineup. I think the best option in my mind is Chet Holmgren at the five, DeMontis Sabonis at the four, Corey Kispert at the three, Joel Yayi at the two, and Jalen Suggs at the one. And Joel is a borderline NBA player, and Suggs has not played particularly well. That's just not a good backcourt. It's not a good NBA caliber backcourt right now. You could start Kispert at the two. You could play Rui at the three. That way your starting lineup is Chet, Sabonis, Rui, Kispert, Suggs, but that's just a bad defensive team. Chet and Suggs are great defensive players, but Sabonis at the four, Kispert at the th- or the Kispert at the two, Rui at the three, horrible defensively. I think that team would get eaten alive if they tried to play defense. I, I, I again, I plan to break this down a lot more at a later time. Especially, you know, there's a chance Andrew Nembhard is in, ends up in the NBA over the offseason. There's a chance that you know Julian Strother bounces to the NBA. We don't know exactly how it's going to shake at this point. But once we know who's going to be in the NBA next season, I plan to look at this a little bit more in depth. But right now, there's not enough guards from Gonzaga in the NBA for it to be a viable roster at that level just yet. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, There was a good deal of conversation in men's college basketball during the regular season about conferences that were stronger compared to those that were having off years. Just looking at the ACC and SEC tells two very different stories in the regular season versus the tournament. Is this just part of the charm and unpredictable nature of the tournament? Is it a sample size thing or does it speak more to peaking at the right time? Now, it's a little bit of all three. I think it's mostly just peaking at the right time. I also think people like to ascribe meaning to how a conference does more than they should, I guess is the best way to put it. I think that obviously all teams are individual, and yes, they spend the majority of their season playing against the rest of the teams in their conference. So how their conference performs does have some relevance. I'm not saying that it is entirely irrelevant, but Miami winning a couple games in the NCAA tournament does not mean that we were all collectively wrong about the ACC. I just don't buy that. Miami got hot at the right time. A more specific example, North Carolina got hot at the right time. They were a good team to begin the year, then they underperformed. Again, it it doesn't say a lot about the ACC necessarily, just that North Carolina wasn't good for large chunks of the season and got really good at the right time. And now, by the time you're listening to this, they have a legitimate chance to win a national championship as an eight seed. A very incredible story. I don't know that it necessarily says a lot about the state of affairs in the ACC this past season, whether people were wrong. I, I just don't know that I buy it. SEC, same thing. A lot of teams fell on their face. 
Kentucky losing to a 15th seed was embarrassing for Kentucky, for John Calipari, for the program. Does it mean that the whole SEC was not as good? I don't know. I don't know that it means that necessarily. I don't believe entirely on ascribing that amount of value to that loss. Yes, obviously Auburn also lost early in the tournament. Tennessee, I I know that the SEC had a really rough NCAA tournament, but I don't think it means that the whole league just wasn't as good as we thought that it was. I think it's more random variance than anything. And and just like you said, it's hard to win games in the NCAA tournament. Sometimes it's just as simple as that. Next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says, you are both a you are a coach of both a men's and women's 3v3 team with players from Gonzaga's history. You will be facing off against other colleges in the tournament. Which four players are you taking? Three starters and one bench for both teams. Okay, so I've definitely had this question on the men's side before. I think there's a lot of debate about this. I probably will change my mind. If I ever get this question again, it's probably a different answer. But for right now, if I'm taking four players, three starters and one bench, for a three-on-three basketball tournament. My starters, Brandon Clark at the five, Adam Morrison on the wing, Jalen Suggs at the point guard, Rui coming off the bench. You have size, you have shooting with Morrison, you have playmaking from Suggs, you have a little bit of everything from Rui, you have really good rim protection and defense from Brandon Clark. The only weakness on this team is their Perimeter defense between Rui and Morrison is pretty bad. Suggs is a very good defensive player, so he helps mitigate that a little bit. But I still, the team's not perfect, but I think that's the four that I would take right there. On the women's side, your starters, Kayla Standish, Heather Bowman, and Courtney Vandersloot. I'm bringing Keani Albanez off the bench because the only real weakness in that starting lineup is outside shooting. And having Albanez, who's one of the three or four best three-point shooters in Gonzaga's women's history, coming off the bench is going to help a lot. Standish, incredible low-post scorer. Heather Bowman is the most successful scorer in Gonzaga history. And Courtney Vandersloot is quite simply the GOAT. So that's going to be my lineup there. Final question of the show comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, Zag Baseball, as you pointed out, this team is good, really good. How does a loyal Zagist follow this team? Television, radio, what are a few fun facts that might get us invested in this great team and story? Well, to follow the team, I'd start with the Twitter account. Zag Baseball is the Twitter account there. They post updates on the games. They post links to where the game's going to be viewable, streamable, if it's on the radio, what time it starts, all of that. So just in terms of your baseline information you want to get about the team, just follow the Twitter account. That's going to be the easiest way to do it. Uh, The radio is a good option. They usually have radio streams. The WCC has streams of a lot of the games, so you can go to the WCC website. You can stream the baseball games from there. Uh, College baseball is not the easiest sport to consume. This is a beef that I have. I think college football is so popular. College basketball is obviously so popular. I understand why college baseball is not as popular. I do get it, but it is so much lower on the totem pole in terms of how major media outlets, you know, interact with it, how often they share it, how often they have the games. It's just not nearly as popular. And I wish that it was more readily accessible because I think there is a audience that would like to consume college baseball product. And they just, it just doesn't really exist right now. I will continue to share as much as I possibly can. In terms of a fun fact about this team, they're top 10 in the country in RPI. They're one of the 10 best teams by that measurement. They're a phenomenal program. I'm going to have a lot more college baseball and Gonzaga baseball content coming your way every Thursday while their season is still going on. I'm going to preview their upcoming weekend series. I'm hoping to have guests, former players from the baseball program, potentially some of the coaches as well. So we're going to have a lot of Gonzaga baseball talk coming your way, which will help people like Christian, as he described as a loyal Zagist, 
will help those folks find ways to interact with this baseball team as they continue one of, if not the most successful season in school history. All right, that is going to do it for me today. A couple more season in review episodes coming out later this week, more transfer discussions, potentially a guest or two, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags, find it there. Another reminder, podcast links will be available on Twitter at Locked On Zags and on my own Twitter account, which can be found at ScoreZagScore. Finally, thank you again for, for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen a Locked On NBA Draft podcast. With the college basketball season wrapping up, give Raphael Barlow and a flurry of guests a listen as they prepare for the NBA Draft. Hear thoughts on Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, and the rest of the NBA's future stars on Locked On NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!